Good morning. We've been talking about the Lord's Supper for a while. It's good to take it. We're in chapter 12. We left off in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians. I want to implore you guys to come out to the Stripers game. I'm not that big of a baseball fan, but it seems like if you go to the Stripers game, the Gwinnett Stripers game, sooner or later, all those players will be on the Braves team. I, I should have been there when a lot of those guys were playing. I could have been in the first, first to know about them, but we're going to have a good time of fellowship and all that, so please come out and join us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, we left off at. It says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things. Speaking of the gifts, the Holy Spirit is maneuvering. He's working, distributing to each individual, individually as he please, as he wills. So God, it's God in his wisdom. He puts individuals where he knows they will strive, where they know they will really thrive in the area that he's put them in if we depend and yield to him in the body of Christ. Paul used the body of Christ. He's using this imagery in the context of the Lord's Supper. He has said in verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many or one body, so also is Christ. There's only one Jesus Christ. It's his body that paid for our sins, that ransomed us from our sin debt that we owed. He has said in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 17, for we though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. The Lord's table is really it's emblematic of our oneness in the body. And he's not talking about uniformity. He's not talking about if we all dress alike or we speak the same things, outward appearances. That was the Corinthians era, by the way. To think that uniformity was a value or that it represented true spirituality, it does not. And there's no such thing as unity without diversity. I love going to churches. I've been to a few. I'm reminded, I don't know who first made this statement. I don't think it was Dr. King. Yeah, it may have been. He says, the, the, there's no more uh, separation in the church than on Sundays. Blacks go to their church. Whites go to their church. Hispanics go to their church. It shouldn't be. That's what it is. He's meant by it. He was meaning by it. And it's so good to see diversity here. That's the way it's going to be in heaven. But there can be no unity without diversity. Because nothing, I was thinking about that, nothing shows the power of God more than when we take different people from different races and different backgrounds and the Holy Spirit blends them together in one fabric of the Holy Spirit. And we become distinctively then. We, we care truly for each other because we, we are one. 
It's a spiritual thing. Nothing else or nothing could ever do that except for the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul is telling them, and you do that once you're born again, we are in Christ Jesus. Paul says in verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Then he proves that, that it's a radical change. He says, I'll give you an example of it. Whether you're Jew or Greeks, whether you're slaves or you're free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. I don't want to beat a dead horse this morning, but in Paul's view, what makes 1 Corinthians or the Corinthians church one is not just their common article of faith. You know, I watch the news a lot, and when people come on these talk shows and They always speak of faith. You're in the family of faith. You're in the family of faith. And I learned this from Pastor Mark, which he learned from the Bible, which is true. The Bible doesn't speak of faith. You can say I'm technical, but there's a dividing line there. The Bible speaks of the faith, the faith. You know, you can have all the mottos and all of your, 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 your uniformity on the walls. You have this motto. You have this saying to bring us together. But nothing brings a people together more than the body of Christ. We are one. We are one because we drink of the same spirit. And Paul is admonishing the Corinthians on this. Matter of fact, Romans 8, 9, the latter part of that verse says, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So that's the glue that keeps the body of Christ together. He says in verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, the two basic descriptions that separate people in the culture is race and religion. Social status can go with that also. In Christ, these are all obliterated. They go, not that they go away, but those things do, do not matter anymore. We're one because we believed in Jesus Christ, the one true God, and he has put us together into a family that should be closer unless you're... you're, you're uh, Biologically, family are believers that should be closer than that. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. That's what he's telling us this morning. So whether you Jew or Greek, but in the sense that there, it has a significance so as to put emphasis on where, where you are now, Jesus Christ has placed us into his body by the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. The spirit The Holy Spirit is what marks us at the beginning of our Christian life. Galatians 3, 2, Paul says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Of course, it was the hearing of faith. He says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. It is composed of many parts. And this is an analogy, and it exists here only as a mean, what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to curb the Corinthians' singular enthusiasm for speaking in tongues. 
And it's going to change. Paul's going to change gears because he starts off speaking to them as if they were puffed up and proud because they were speaking in tongues. But he will go on. He will change that. He gets deeper into that. He will, he will start speaking about individuals, what's going on in the churches and why they are puffed up. And then he gives the analogy here. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, just think of your feet being stuck in a dirty shoe and a stuffy sock all day long until it gets some relief. You give it some air. I don't think the toes, I can understand the foot why they would think they're not that important. Paul uses a great analogy here. He says, because I am not a hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? Nobody is noticing me, the feet is saying, but the spirit notices, and that's all that matters should matter to the child of God. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, whether you're a foot or not, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's natural for Paul to refer to their unity in the body in terms of the spirit, because that's where it lies. He goes back to verse 14, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then Paul begins to develop the imagery of the body referring always to the church. One body, many parts. The problem is not the body. The problem is all of the many parts. But his primary concern is in this verse indicates the many parts are the problem. It's funny that Paul basically, he's concerned with unity, which really is their common goal. It's no doubt about it. If we're in Christ, we're unified. So where does the problem lie? The problem does not lie with the Holy Spirit, the problem, it falls because of pride often and suspicion or distrust often. When it comes to the work of the Spirit, nonetheless, unity is still here. Our common life in the Spirit, not our own machinations, what we may imagine and what we think. It's our not trusting the Spirit of God that has forced us to attempt unity in some other way, when all we have to do is rely on the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. But the key to everything in the believer's life is the Holy Spirit if we yield to him. So Paul, he will continue this imagery, speaking of diversity with unity in these two paragraphs. This ain't complicated, you guys. It's not complicated at all. But the flesh can make the simple complicated. The body is not one member, and the whole body is assembled only for the body of Christ to operate and to work. 
But there is more going on here than favorable gifts. They're not arguing about the favorable gifts. Uh, And we'll find that out in verse 27 and 31. He says in verse 16, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No, it's still part of the body. And he's hinting at people trying to be superior to other people. That's where Paul is going to go to. So what, what Paul's aim is, it's true sometimes in the body, though. People have a desire to be something than what they are. We're human. We're fallen. And this is always It's always plagued the church of God. And Paul is admonishing them for this. Verse 17 says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? So Paul's point is the inferior parts that you may think they're inferior. Paul is stressing the need for every member of the body of Christ. There's no one that's less or greater than anyone else in the body. Doesn't doesn't matter how God has gifted you. Doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues more than the angels. We're still one in the body and Christ sees us as one. Otherwise, he's saying if everybody is functioning and speaking in tongues, Where is the other gifts? He tells us in verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Which takes us back to verse 11. He says, but one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. We are all divinely placed, and we all have divine gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. And Paul pushes the envelope here. He's trying to show the Corinthians if all parts were one kind, there would be nobody at all. It would be a monstrosity. So he tells them in verse 20, but now indeed God knows what he's doing. There are many members yet one body. He's been stressing many parts here, but since diversity is not an end in itself, but it's to function with their, in their essential unity, he concludes with this reminder. The world is watching us, the church. Paul goes on to say in verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Paul is referencing now, he moves, he shifts gears to the hierarchy that's going on in the church in 1 Corinthians, where those consider themselves at the top of the hierarchy of persons in the church. They think they can get along without some others who do not have their allegedly superior rank here. This is the, this is the thrust of the present analogy. At the same time, it continues the theme of the need for variety. 
It's common to see this analogy as a reference to those who speak in tongues. That's why I started off with speaking in tongues. It's more than that. Matter of fact, Paul really doesn't get on them one time about their gifts. Paul is referencing the hierarchy that's taking place in the church. One thinking they are better than the other. Now, it may be because of their gift. It could be that. That's why Paul says, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're slave or free, we are one in the body of Christ. Whether you're black or white or Hispanic, it does not matter. If you're born again, you have a part, a, a legitimate part in the body of Christ. Doesn't matter your social economical, wherever you place in there. Jesus sees us as one. And that's how, it's really not, that should be our behavior. That should be our walk of life. There's no one higher than anyone else in the body of Christ. Just because I get up here and teach does not make me higher than anyone else. Just because you have a, uh, you may be working for the church doesn't make you higher or lower than anyone else. If anything else, we should be more of a servant. Paul is telling the Corinthians this. Remember, he, they were talking at, at the Lord's table. He was speaking of the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots did not have food. And when they would get to the Lord's supper, they would let them eat, but there would be whispering in the back. And Paul gets on to them about that. Verse 13, he says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit, to affirm about their common experience, the spirit at what makes them one body, is what makes them one body. So you can smell the stench of their pride right here. But they're boasting in their self-sufficiency and demeaning others while they're boasting. You know, there's nothing worse than when believers demean other believers. While we're all working in Christ's vineyard, we're all the same. We're, we've all been, had, had the privilege to be in his vineyard. And now we're boasting about what gifts and what we are doing to the point of saying, Paul says they were saying, I have no need of you. Can you imagine that? You might say, I don't have any need for you. But last time I checked, I or any of us, we're not the boss. We're not the head. It's Jesus Christ. He's the head, and he has need of all of us. And every one of us is important in the house of God. We all come from the same soil. We all come from the same at the foot of the cross we're all the same, and that's how we should see people. Verse 22, Paul says, No much rather those members of the body which seems to be weaker are necessary. He's speaking of those who think they can get along without some others in the church. Paul says, Those part of the body that seems to be weaker are the more indispensable. It seems that Paul almost 
certainly is speaking of eternal organs now. So he shifted from the outer to the inner, which we may not think of much, but if you need a liver, if you need a kidney, if you need something like that, you think of it real quick how important those pieces are. They might seem weaker, but they're not. Their apparent weakness has no relationship to their real value and necessity to the body. And remember, this is not an allegory, but an analogy. I believe Paul is thinking, like I said, of bodily organs now because they appear a weaker and the body would cease to be whole without them. So every believer of the church, no matter their role, is needed. Verse 23, he says, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, that word is atomos, on these we bestow greater honor. Paul is undoubtedly referring to our private parts now in which we bestow greater honor because we cover them. He says, in our unpresentable parts, that Greek word for unpresentable parts are periso, exceeding some number, it means, or measure or rank or need. Paul says those parts have greater modesty. Verse 24, but our presentable parts have no need. Speaking of your face or your hands, they don't need much attention there. They're in the open. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. It is God that ordains the body, a purpose and that all the parts may have mutual concern for one another. He says presentable parts, not, and that does not mean inferior parts, but in need. Both the weak and the less honorable are in their own in need. Verse 25, that there should be no schism, no division, no dissension in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. If we recognize, if we would recognize how vital we are to one another, and we are, there should be no strife among the members who mutually need each other to function as a body. We're the body of Christ. Here at Restore, we need one another. No one should put themselves in a higher position than the other. Matter of fact, I said this before, Jesus says those who want to be the greatest should be serving everyone. This tells me that people, not gifts, are in view right here. And those that spoke in tongues, once again, they weren't the elitists. That wasn't the problem. Verse 26 will tell us right here. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's walking as Christ. We're not selfish. We're not haughty. We're not prideful. When someone gets blessed, we're right there to rejoice with them. If someone is going through something, we should be right there praying and giving them what they need. Jesus Christ does that. We should have equal concern for each other. Because we tend, you know, we tend to be as the Holy Spirit says we are. Selfish and self-centered. James puts it this way. 
And he puts it this way because once again, this is our tendency, but we're full of the Holy Spirit. If we're yielding to the Holy Spirit, we should not let this happen. James says, uh, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Hmm. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's the tendency. But we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. Every one of us here in the body of Christ at Restore should be known for service, should be known for serving one another. That's innately in us now that we are born again. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Paul says, even as a human body is unified, whole with many different parts, so also is the body of Jesus Christ. And God, here it is again, and God has appointed these in the church. He says, first apostles, those are special ambassadors of the church. Paul in his day was an apostle. Agabus in the book of Acts was an apostle. If there be any apostles today, we still use that title. They are be apostles. Yes, they are special messengers, but they're not writing scripture anymore. They're not, they're not doing that anymore. So they can be apostles in that right. But here Paul is speaking of apostles here. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. God still has his special messengers in the church today, though not of the original apostles. He says, second prophets. These are those particularly called to speak forth God's word. It's not so much telling you what's going to happen, but it's speaking the words of God. They were a unique bunch. In the Old Testament, they could tell you what was going to happen or they would read a word. But these days, there's no more apostles. The book Jesus Christ has come in the volume of the book. The book is closed. There are no more writing scriptures. If they're writing scripture, well, we know they're not from God. Revelation 19, latter part of verse 10 says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I think of Billy Graham, people like that, who was raised up to be a blessing for the church. But if you insist on being a prophet, make sure what you say always is 100% correct, not 99.9, because we'll have to stone you for that. So that's why I know there's no prophets out here. He says, third teachers. And it's not even speaking really of people who get up to teach. When he, was, when he says teachers there, he was speaking of Agabus once again and the, the apostles who would get up and read the word, explain the word and tell you what would happen. It was also utterance of God. They may speak in tongues and, he, and they would translate for them. He says, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, gifts of helps, which are, are wonderful, people who have gifts of helps, administration that's so important in the church. 
Then he says, variety of tongues, different types of tongues. And then in verse 29, it becomes rhetorical questions Paul spurts out to us. And he asks the question, are all apostles? Are all prophets? No, is the answer. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts? There's nothing wrong with wanting these gifts. And then I love what Paul says. He says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Not a most excellent way, speaking of gifts, but way. And he begins to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, not the gift. Chapter 13 should challenge us in every way because chapter 12, chapter 13 is really sandwiched in between chapters 12 and chapter 14. Paul gets back to the gift. So it's like an Oreo cookie that I love to eat. And when I was a little kid, I would always lick the frosting first. But chapter 13 is the glue to hold chapter 12 and chapter 14 together because it does not matter if you got chapter 12, if you can speak in tongues, if you can prophesy, if you can do all those things, if you don't have that gift in chapter 13, if, you do, if you're not. And it's not even a gift, it's loving. It's doing the things we should do. The other fall apart, and that's what Paul will say. If you're worried about speaking in tongues and prophecy, there's something greater than that. You can have all of that stuff cooking. You can have all that stuff going on. But if you don't have love, Victor, you're not reflecting the very heart of God. I've told the Lord several times, reading his word, I said, Lord, I wish I could teach like this guy. I wish I could rememorize scripture like this guy. I got that right, Lord, but I wish I would have said this differently. And you know how you, you want to explain things and make sure you, people understand stuff. And every time I've said that, there hasn't been one time the Lord hasn't come back and said, just walk. Just walk. That's when I'm pleased with you the most. Not if you prophesy, not if you know anything about my word. He says, just walk. That would make my day victor. And that's what Paul is saying. The, the, the Corinthian church, they come in here and they're puffed up because they can speak in tongues or they're teaching this and they're, they're prophesying and they're doing all these gifts. And Paul is saying, yet something is lacking. And it's love. And it's love. You're not reflecting the very heart of God. And he begins to talk about charity. The Greek word agapon, but we know it as agape in the New Testament. There were different meanings. We, we've heard this before for love in the Greek culture. There was phileo. You get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. That's a fondness-like love. Storge in the New Testament is a family love, the love between a 
husband and a wife, a, a father and a mother and their children, the love between siblings, the natural love that, that takes place in a family. Paul said that love right there in the last days will grow cold. And it is. That's storge, a lack of family love, and how we will see that in our culture. Then there's eros. New Testament is erotic love, the sensual love, the intimate love between a husband and a wife. And then you got the word agape. We've all heard it. And you know, in our minds, immediately, we tend to think, oh, that's agape. That's God's love. But it's used in a broader sense than God's love. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But then he says, there are those who don't come to the light. Why don't they come to the light? Because they love agape, darkness, more than light. So agape really isn't exclusively the love of God. It certainly is the love of commitment or the love, a devoted love. Paul says they agape darkness more than light. And there are people in this world that's committed to that path. So agape is not a feeling. It's not going to tell us in this chapter how agape should make you feel. I feel this or I feel that. There aren't different forms of love. There are different forms of love. I say, I love my wife. But then I'll turn around and say, I love Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> I better not love the Crimson Tide as much as I love my wife. I'm in trouble if I, if I do that. But not for the Greek. So here we're going to go to this word it's not a word, once again, about feelings. It's a word of behavior. It's a word of commitment. The, this love that God has given us. Sometimes even when we don't feel like it, we act out in obedience because we know it's what's right. And he's going to define it for us. Verse 31 says, so he tells us finally, but Paul says, but earnestly, Desire the best gifts. If you want to speak in tongues, pray for it. If you want the gift of miracles and works and healings and administration, pray for those things. Paul says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. There was no break in this chapter. Verse 1, it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and they started speaking in unknown tongues and people were walking by and that caught their, that caught their attention so they wanted to go in and find out what was going on? And Paul said they were speaking the wonderful works of God in their own language. So though I, Paul says, so though I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, 
And I'm not sure about angels. I read a few books. The book of Job, not in the Bible, but in one of those other books, it says Job had two daughters. And this is just free information right here. I'm just telling you what the book said. (laughs) Take it or leave it. Job had two daughters, and they wanted the gift of prophecy. And so they would put on these garments, and they would begin prophesying to the Lord And he said they were speaking in the words of angels. So they might have gotten that from there. I don't know. Paul had told told us, though, I would wish that you'd all speak in tongues, but rather you would, would prophesy more. So this had to become evidently out of place in the Corinthians church. It was out of balance. He says, but have not love, you're only a clanging sound or a noising cymbal. We all know people like that. I have become a sounding brass or a tingling symbol. And I want to say this also, as we go in this, as we read through this, remember there's no way in the world we could ever have this kind of love unless we're born again. Galatians 5, while you, if you read through that chapter, Paul speaks of the fruit, singular, and I think that's love, and out of love flows all these other gifts. He says, of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and the rest of those. All of those different things characterize the fruit of the spirit. And then he he switches to the works of the flesh, plural, of the flesh. He goes through a long list of works of the flesh. But then he contrasts the fruit, singular, He says, of the spirit is this, love isn't something you can produce on your own, not this kind of love. You might have phileo love. You might have storge love. You might even have eros love. But this love, this agape love, is something for the Christian. It's not for the unbeliever. If you want more of agape love, we need to spend more time with the Lord. We need to be in his presence more and ask him because that's what this kind of love is. He says in verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, pretty smart person there, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, Paul picks up this. I believe he got this from Jesus Christ. Matthew 21, 21 says, I say to you, Jesus speaking, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. I don't want anybody who's not walking in love if I'm close by, that can pick up a mountain, move it, and set it somewhere else. Because if they don't have love, they might sit it on me. That's why I don't want it. That's why it's so important to have love. Verse 3 says, and though I bestow, Paul continues, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? Sell all that you have and come follow me. And we know he turned him down. He says, and though, and though I give my body to be burned, we see that in different religions all the time, burning themselves or setting themselves on fire or blowing up themselves. Paul says, even if I give my body to be burned, 
and have not love, it profits me nothing. And so I say, okay, Paul, you're telling me what love isn't. What is love? What is this agape love you're speaking of? It's not that I give all my money away to the missionaries. That's good and well, but if you don't do it in love, it hasn't profit you anything. It's not if I go minister here or there, and if I'm not doing it in love, we just found out it's not profiting me anything. Paul says it doesn't matter. If you take everything you have and you sell it and you give it to the poor, you give it to the orphanage, do all those things, if your motivation isn't love, it's nothing. And it's strange to me, we still run after, I want to prophesy, I want to speak in tongues, I want to do this ministry, I want to do that ministry, and there's a little old lady and a little old man who reads their word, nobody knows it, lives life, and just has that close relationship with the Lord, and Jesus is smiling at them. Because everything else we do isn't motivated by love. Paul is saying that's a problem. Because love is something that's given to us. Jesus says, the only reason you love me is because I first did what? Love you. Love receives always should end up as love bestowed. The way he loves me, I shouldn't let, if someone says something smart to me, says something I don't like, I should not let that get in the way of me returning love because Jesus has rained it down upon me. That's what the Bible says. We should be reflecting his love. Jesus says this, when the spirit comes, he won't speak of himself, but will take those things of me and, and I'll reveal them unto you. So let's look at what love is then. And, I, and as we read this, give yourself a test and see how long you stand up to what love is. Paul says in verse 4, Love suffers long. I fall right there. I'm just tell, I tell on myself, y'all know, I fall right there. <laughs> Pray for me. Love is patient is what he's saying. And it's not patient. It suffers long. I might can do that some days. But the Holy Spirit says, no, no, it's more than that. It's kind. It's kind. And it's while you're suffering, it's while you're suffering, you be kind. Woo, that's tough. That was tough this morning around 5.30. We ran the dishwasher. Lydia put the dishes in, ran the dishwasher. I got up at 5.30, go downstairs. Is that the dishwasher? Is it still running? I mean, it was 90 degrees in that room. Could have burned up, could have burned the house up, but this is it. I put my work down and start trying to, hey, I need to turn this thing off. I need to fix this. I'm just working on it. So I did not call my wife 
But she finally gets up at 7 o'clock. I said, hey, Lydia, you loaded the dishes and you did something wrong. <laughs> Just telling on myself. And she comes in there. She says, I did, did the same thing I usually do. And we were trying to turn it off. It wouldn't turn off. So, and there she goes, pulling this and pulling it. And I said, just wait, wait. We'll just go swift, hit the switch, get the breaker. We finally did that. But my point is, I wasn't suffering long then. I was not. So I'm not telling you guys this is where it is coming to me. I should have suffered long. I didn't throw a big fit, but I could have been a little nicer. We finally got it off. But Jesus is saying, love suffers long and kind, and is kind. So as you suffer, hoopamony, while that pressure is on you, Jesus says, still be kind. Huh. You can't do that in the flesh. The rabbis, the ancient rabbis said, you forgive a person three times. After that, you can let them have it. You can do what you, what you want to do. That's why Peter said, Lord, how many, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Oh, Peter, we're doing great. Remember what he said? Seventy times seven. Some translation says in a day, Peter. And I was beginning to think, Lord, 70 times seven? 490 times? And then I kind of chuckled and I said, well, that's good because by the time someone does me wrong, the same person that many times, I would have forgotten what I was mad about, what I was walking around here with an attitude. So that's why he says it. But you can, you can, some people have said, until the kingdom comes. That's when the 490 days, Babylonians, all that when the kingdom comes. But I just take it as, I would have forgotten, which is best anyway. It's amazing. He says, love suffers long and then is kind. Aren't, aren't we glad Jesus is like that? And then he begins to tell us what agape love is. He says, love does not envy. And Corinth was filled with envious people. Envy is a bitterness that is terrible. Please don't have envy. Envy is listed next to murder in the works of the flesh. It was because of envy, we know, that, they, that Cain killed Abel. It was because of envy that they throw Joseph brothers threw him in the, in the pit. And of course, it was because of envy, the Bible says in Matthew, that they crucified our Savior. Don't let that work in your life. Don't be envious. He says, love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It doesn't boast. It's not puffed up. It doesn't push itself out into the light. Love doesn't seek attention. Wow. Hmm. Does not behave rudely. So love is well-mannered. What he's saying is these Corinthians who were divided and looking and measuring themselves against one another, they weren't loving. Love doesn't behave itself rudely. And then it says love does not seek its own. That's the antithesis of love, seeking its own. Love is all about the other person. 
Paul says love is not provoked, and that's easily provoked. It takes me a minute before I get provoked. No, that doesn't count. It's not easily provoked. And I'm blown away. I'm always blown away with this one. Paul says, love thinks no evil. Wow. In the Greek, it says, it's to reckon or keep account. That's strong. Somebody does me wrong, that's okay, I'll forgive you, but I got the account there. I'll, I'll remember that. That's okay. I got, a, I, I got something for you. <laughs> I'm just real. Jesus says love does not keep account. You mess up, that's okay. We all blow it. That's, that should be what we think. That's okay. You messed up. You blew it, that's okay. I blow it too. You're a jerk, and I'm a jerk also. That's the way you should see it. But, you know, when you forgive that person, if you think someone has done you wrong, you see that person, you don't speak, you turn away, you're just frustrated and all that, until you forgive that person, make amends, they have no power or control over you then. You're free. And Paul says, love does not keep an account of evil. Verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity. And again, though it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, in the contrast, we come back to something that love does. He says, but rejoices in the truth. You always want. My kids growing up, I told them, just tell me the truth. I, I do not like liars. If you blew it, if you messed up somewhere, Bright, just come tell me. We'll work it out. But don't walk in hypocrisy. Don't do that. Come into the light. Jesus is light. We all mess up. And that's what Paul is saying he says, but rejoices in the truth. Verse 7, bears all things. Spurgeon calls these the four friends of love here. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I wish endure wasn't there because that's a word you have to, it never stops. You're enduring all things just like our Savior did. He says, bears all things. The Greek word sometimes translated, it means covers. And the Bible says, Jesus covers a multitude of sins. Aren't we glad about that? We sweep things under the carpet, but not Jesus. He, he covers them. He blasts them away. Verse 7, it says, bears all things, believes all things. And it doesn't mean you're not naive, you just, when somebody is whispering, did you hear this about Victor? Did you hear this about him? This is what it means. It means you're not going to accept that. You're going to say, he's a lot of things, but he's not that. You're not going to take that in and stick, let it stick to you. You're going to I know, I know Victor. He's not like that. 
Love always thinks the best. That's what Paul is saying. Love believes all things, and that's not being naive. But once again, you're separating. You're going to give that person the benefit of the doubt, that believer. And there's nothing wrong with that. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. And then he says, it bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. How did you guys do putting your name in that slot? (laughs) Yeah, we don't do so well. Aren't we glad we have the Savior? We can place his name in there, and it does a lot better. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus envious not. Jesus did not parade himself, is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. Not one time in his 33 or 34 years, Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked easily. Jesus thinks no evil of me. Wow. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but Jesus rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Hallelujah. Jesus believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. That's the one we should be riding with. How did you do? How did you do? You know, we tend to be like the church of Corinth sometimes when we start judging people. And we like to, as 2 Corinthians says, we like to measure people. We find the person that you think is not better than us. So, hey, I'm, 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 at least I'm not bad as Joe here. But Paul says we shouldn't do that. The measuring rod is Jesus Christ. He did it perfectly. We're never going to reach that standard here on earth, but that's the goal. And knowing that we are frail and that we are capable of blowing it at any time, we should extend grace to everyone. We should walk in love. He says in verse 8, love never fails. John 13, 35 says this, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's easy. Just love people. Verse 8, but whether there are prophecies they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. He tells you all these things you're praying for, all these things you may be doing, all of those things are going to vanish away, not going to be in need of them anymore. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Let me tell you something funny here. I love my sports. Basketball, football, I love them. And I remember, and I think I was about... 32 or 33, and I think that's kind of young. But we were going to the Atlanta Falcons game, and Anthony, we had bought him a jersey, a Falcon jersey, and he said, Daddy, 
are you going to wear that? I had bought me one too. And like I said, I was 32. And he said, you're too old to be wearing a jersey. (laughs) I wore it anyway. But the effect that had on me, I have never worn it since. And I'm seeing these guys walking around with jerseys. I said, they shouldn't. They're too old. They're too old to be wearing these jerseys. But wear what you want to. I'm just telling you, that's what he said. That's funny. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I don't wear them anymore. I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. When we see him, the Bible says we will be like him. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. The worship team can come up. And now abide, check this out, faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love because, once again, won't be any prophesying in heaven. Won't need any faith up there. Love, you'll still need it. That shows that we are who we say we are when we walk in love, you guys. We need to do that. No matter how much you think someone has harmed you or done you wrong, we need to walk in love. That's what it's about. Let's pray. Father, the Apostle Paul said the greatest of these is love. I'm reminded in uh, the book of Revelations where John looks and sees that little lamb, diminutive lamb, slaughtered. And that was because of love. With the marks of slaughter on his body because he proved his love towards us. Love thinks no wrong. Love never fails. Lord, may we be a church that loves one another. May we be a forgiving church. If words get crossed, may we be a forgiving church. Because the Holy Spirit has said we need one another and the world is watching Just because I'm a foot, hey, you still need me. And we need every believer in the body of Christ. And we need to tell every believer here that they are needed. We want you here. We want you to use your gifts here. We want you to minister here. You all, if you're born-again believers, you have something to offer the body of Christ. So be confident in him. Use those gifts. But I want to show you a greater way this morning, and that's love. Just walk in love. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.